0: This episode of The Enhancement Talent is brought to you by The Cream, because it always rises to the top. Distinct voice to his high-flying wrestling style. There were few wrestlers in history as iconic as the man born Randy Mario Paffo. On this month's edition of the Enhancement Talents Wrestler Profile Series, we take a look at the life and times of the madness himself. Join us as we give you the story of the Macho Man, Randy Savage. All right, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. I'm your host, the man in the rafters, the one they call Tony Lopez. With me tonight, as always, the other half of the amazing Lopez Cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez. How are you doing tonight, Bob?
1: I'm doing great, sir. How about yourself?
0: Doing all right. Doing all right. It's been a busy week leading up to to Halloween here, it's unseasonably warm the last few days, but it was kind of raining today and it just kind of zapped all the energy out of me, so I'm, I'm kind of running out fumes, but I think we'll be all right for tonight because we're going to discuss the career of a very, very special wrestler, I think, to all three of us. Um, how about you? How's your week been treating you?
1: Just been staying busy with work, been going to the kids' sporting events. My daughter plays basketball right now, so I've been going to her games and watching that, so that's been a lot of fun. Other than that, it's about What it. position
0: does she... What position?
1: She's in fourth grade. They just like, <laughs> go out there and guard somebody. It's, it's... You know. She's never played basketball in her life, so she joined the new school, and all the girls in her class were on the basketball team, so she joined... And um, she usually plays like a forward, sometimes center, but most of like 90%, she's forward. And um, mm. it's fun to watch her play because she she's got like, she's not the greatest when it comes to dribbling or offensive skills, but her defense is, is just fun to watch because like she turns into like, this different kind of monster when she's on the court. Um, I I see her and I picture Charles Oakley like she's all up on you defensive wise and like ripping the ball out of your hands. she just turns into this like monster i'm like whoa where the hell did this little girl come from but she plays hell of a defense man so it's 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 so much that she blocks shots and stuff and it's just that's that's my girl so i'm proud of her today was their first uh, what's that
0: no, I was gonna say does she swing the elbows when she grabs a rebound like uh, yeah, Bill Cartwright she used to do. She
1: does. She th- she throws nice. elbows. She gives she gives dirty ass looks, and it's like, whoa, what have you done to my daughter? Man. But um, she uh, today was their first playoff game, and they won nine to two. So it's uh it's fun and it's exciting. So good
0: times. Nice. Yeah, it's always fun to play forward. That's where they put me whenever I play basketball at school because I, I was not fast but um, I can get down low and grab some rebounds. So yeah. Hopefully Lily likes it enough to stick with it. That sounds like she's having fun. That's awesome.
1: She already How signed about up you Adam? Oh sorry. Next, she already signed up for volleyball so that's the next thing. It's just go ahead and spend my money. That's all I want to do. <laughs>
0: nice. Well out in beautiful Cary, Illinois, it is the Warsaw Blonde. Adam Kolovic, how about you, Adam? Any uh, parenting things you've been doing lately?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, when you were talking about Lily and uh, turning into a different animal on defense, uh, it made me think back to the heralded uh, Bulls teams in the 90s with the two three-peats. Uh, the The second set of three-peats, they had a guard by the name of Randy Brown. I'm sure both of you guys remember him. Oh, yeah, I
0: remember Randy Brown. And,
2: yeah, that guy, when he went out there at D, was relentless. So that's the first person I thought of. Um, Also, uh, my basketball experience, uh, I was the Bill Wennington of Oak Park, Illinois. Uh, I couldn't guard for crap, but I could pull a few rebounds down. I could hit baseline jumper uh, pretty well, so... Nice, that was, that was my uh contribution. Uh, we just finished up with uh, my uh, my younger daughter Hope is uh, finished up uh, pom poms uh, a week or two ago, so uh, that was her first year, she really liked it. We had to go to the end of the year event, and there were like you know, grades one, which she's in, all the way up to eighth, and by the time you get up to eighth grade, they're doing all sorts of flippy stuff, and all I could think of is Jim Cornette sitting there just shaking his head at, at uh, all the flippy stuff. Him and Braun Strowman mm. would not have enjoyed that yeah. uh, that exhibition. And uh, my my oldest uh, was did our uh, rec volleyball. She hadn't played volleyball before, so she's uh, she's learning that. So uh, I wish she had a better teacher because uh, that was never my game. But she's enjoying it. So yeah, nice. So now we're kind of in a lull period, other than uh, uh, Aubrey's in the jazz band. So soon I get to go to a couple jazz shows. Nice. What does she play? Uh, it's just the trumpet, so I'm oh. still waiting. I'm still waiting for her to hit the riffs on Higher Love and uh, Susudio. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. Our money's well spent.
0: Yeah, there you go. Well. Let's see here. Let's get into the news portion of the show this week, boys. Not not a lot of news going on this week. But there are two uh two major stories. Both of them I mean, we usually talk either WWE or AEW. Neither one of these news items are any of those companies. Uh first one, we'll get into um Impact Wrestling had their Bound for Glory event here. In Chicago uh, this past weekend and it was announced that Impact is going to be rebranding itself as a lot of people know uh, out there if you're a wrestling fan the original name for Impact Wrestling was TNA total Nonstop action wrestling and it looks like they're going to uh, go backwards as it were and rebrand itself as TNA now. Um, impact is gone and TNA is going to be here. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of liked it when they, when they, um, went away from TNA and, uh, and did impact because, you know, TNA in and of itself is kind of, uh, you know, what do they call it? Uh, an innuendo as it were, I always kind of thought it was a stupid thing, um, but, I guess for people who were you know big into impact wrestling and the original t n a they're embracing this with open arms and there's been a lot of positive feedback for it uh What was your guys' impression when you heard that impact is going to go be going back to uh the t n a moniker? Let's start with you, Bob
1: well first thing I thought was I hope they don't bring the six sided ring back because that was that was atrocious um yeah. I mean, I was never a big fan of that. I remember we talked about some of the worst wrestling matches we've ever seen and TNA had a couple of those matches mm-hmm. with regards to the uh inside outside battle royal and a couple other things that they did, oh. but um you know, their uh their Bound for Glory pay-per-view over the past weekend was really good and um you know, it's uh hopefully it's a a right step and a step in the right direction for them um you know they got they got some talent over there and they did a really cool video montage about bringing them back and they had a lot of the old school guys there like eric young and uh frankie kazarian and stuff like that people that have been on the uh tna roster for for a long time so um it'll be interesting to see what they do they got like i said they got some good names over there right now and uh they're putting on some good matches, so um, Yeah I look forward, as long as they don't bring back that ring that, That's fine with me
0: Yeah I mean, for, for a company that For a while there seemed to be on the brink Of extinction for a long time um, For them to still be around Is just worthy of tipping your hat to And, hey If they want to bring the old name back, that's cool uh, Adam, how about you? What are you, What's your thoughts on uh, TNA coming back?
2: was kind of a head scratcher, uh, for me, uh, like it was uh for you, Tony. Um because yeah, when I think TNA, I think Jeff Jarrett, I think Dixie Carter, I think Vince Russo, and I think of that six sided ring. Now of course through the good things that went along with the TNA brand too. You had you know, Kurt Angle wrestled there, of course, AJ Styles in his prime, Samoa Joe, a young Samoa Joe. Um, so some good things did happen, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, when did they exactly switch to Impact? That was kind of after Dixie Carter got out of it, right? Yeah. Jarrett that, and all those people. That's when that
0: Anthem company took them over pretty much, and that was probably about, it's been over 10 years since it's just been Impact.
2: Yes, as Bob mentioned, you know, they, they've they been, um, uh, putting on, some good shows lately i mean uh anyone i hear or see who posts about it enjoys their shows and said that uh, they're pretty good um as you just mentioned the, the pay-per-view was last week um so you know i don't know if it's an attempt to bring more eyes to the brand or something i think the biggest hurdle they have is the tv um they're on axis tv which i like to watch because there's all these old fogey uh rock shows on there when tna is not on but uh you know i don't think there's a big uh wide audience for that so um i don't know what the tv uh, commitments are if they're going to be shopping around so maybe the tna name that's more people remember it maybe that's an attempt to just kind of get more exposure um but uh yeah, I guess I guess let's see what uh, what they have in store. I agree. I don't need the six sided ring back, and I don't need Dixie Carter back either.
0: Yeah, yeah, Dixie Dixie Carter is. Uh, that's a whole other thing, man. And that's a whole TNA. I think it would make a really good documentary as far as like For the sure. ups and downs within that company. Mm-hmm. I, it's just, it's a company that really doesn't get it to do as far as how kind of influential they've been. You know, like, back in the early 2000s when they first got out, you know, the stuff they were doing with the X Division was really influential, stuff like that. But then, you know, you had your dark years when they bought in Bischoff and Hogan, and that nearly sunk the company. And now they've, you know, got it. Like I said, you got to tip the hat to them. They, They somehow survived, and they've found a way to thrive they're still they're still going pretty strong they're they're nowhere near as as popular as they were back in their prime but they're still going and like you said that's that's half the battle is to just keep the engine going so to you know tip of the cap to to impact now back to being known as tna uh wrestling um yeah, the other news going into this week was the the news that N.W.A., um, you know, as any, as wrestling fans would know, the N.W.A. used to be the over-governing body of all the territories, but ever since the territories fell back in the 80s when, you know, Vince McMahon, you know, in, in effect killed the territories... The N.W.A. was kind of running on fumes until, you know, kind of recently where they kind of just became their own federation. And they've been going on kind of a smaller scale themselves. Um, They have their their show N.W.A. Power Hour, which you can watch on YouTube, which I I actually like. If you ever get a chance to watch N.W.A. Power Hour, it's kind of like a a nod to um, those old. Kind of like uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling shows that they did inside the the TV studios. You know they had the ring, and then they had you know the the people just you know sitting around the ring. It's it's always shot in the same TV studio, and you know they they would always have Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes cutting promos in there and everything. NWA Power Hour reminds me a lot of that, and. um Yeah, I I caught them during the pandemic a lot. and Like I said, it's out there on YouTube if you want to watch it. But the big news coming out of them is their owner, which uh, everybody knows is Smashing Pumpkins' lead singer, Billy Corgan, he has secured them a television contract with the CW network. So now NWA is going to be, you know potentially being in front of more people than they are at the moment you know the cw is very much the fifth of the uh the major networks maybe even the sixth um the cw is not you know watched by a lot of people but for them to actually get on a network that will be broadcasting them nationally is a pretty big deal for the nwa and I was surprised that it happened. You know, Billy Corgan did something to grease the wheels, and now all of a sudden we have NWA on national TV. So, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Let's start with you, Adam. What, what do you think about NWA being on the CW? I can speak this
2: a little because um, the company I work for bought the CW yeah a while ago. Um, the uh, not the bore of with the CW history, but you know uh wb which became the cw was long known for teeny bopper shows and shows i'd never watched like gilmore girls and shit like that and uh, you know all this young adult centered stuff that nobody watched uh more people watched the fish tank at the pet store one tree uh, hill could,
0: wasn't that a cw show?
2: yeah yeah if i could borrow a line from uhf more people watched the uh, the fish tank at the pet store uh, but uh, in, in order to try to reinvent themselves, uh, Next, our own CW is centering more on reality-based programming instead, which is cheaper to produce, so there might be more of a profit involved. So uh, they've acquired ACC basketball and football uh, this year, and they're doing a lot of different sporting events and stuff of that nature. So this is, I guess, this is a good fit for that model. So, uh, yeah, um, it's interesting. Again, you're kind of having this renaissance here. Uh, Now you're going to have, you know, we just mentioned Impact or TNA. Now you're going to have four uh, wrestling promotions that have five, I guess, if you count New Japan, I think is on Access TV too. But you're going to have four... uh, wrestling uh promotions uh airing on national television so that's good for the business obviously it's uh business is picked up uh and it's great for the talent because there's more options uh places to work and it's great for the fans because they have a wider variety to choose from so uh, i was surprised when i heard it but uh it's a great opportunity for him uh so we'll see how it works out uh maybe james eha could be the uh commissioner
0: yeah maybe uh all i gotta say is thank god that what's his name tyrus doesn't have the belt anymore because you can't even if they're on cw that there's no way that that would bring fucking asses to the seats um how about you bob what are your thoughts on nwa coming to the cw
1: did you see who their champ is now who defeated tyrus
0: well, was EC3, wasn't it?
1: You want him on the mic to to bring the crowd in? Because a Not lot of people don't give do a shit but... about him either. <laughs> yeah. How about Ricky Morton? And... Ricky Morton yeah. Jr. is there, and so is Steve Carino's kid. But um, when I heard the news, I, I wasn't, like, too thrilled or surprised or honestly really didn't care. Um, I, I feel like NWA... The name itself, you know, is prestigious, but what Billy Corgan has over there and what he's trying to represent to me, you know, really doesn't do anything for me. Um I just mentioned EC three. I mentioned uh, you know, Steve Carino's kids in there, Ricky Morton's kids in there, you have Trevor Murdoch, who's one of your top stars. Um they're doing a pay per view coming in October and um they're having a match where it's Vampiro, he's in charge of a tag team, and he's going up against um, one of the guys from the Insane Clown Posse, and he's uh, managing a, a tag team of clowns, and uh, that's one of your main matches for the pay-per-view. Um, I feel like he had a decent roster, and he let everyone go. He had Dunda Rosa, he had Serena Deeb, he had Eddie Kingston, he had Ricky Starks, um and a lot of good names under your roster and you just let them go and they all go end up going to uh, aw and now all of a sudden you're trying to get a tv deal to show us uh, like i said trevor murdoch and jtg and chris masters and um i, I don't think i'll be rushing Shit, chris the, masters on, is there chris masters is on there too so i'm not gonna be rushing oh to go God. watch watch these guys anytime soon Maybe put the master lock on the CW execs to
2: get the deal. Yeah, maybe. You don't have to sign this deal if if you can get out of the master lock. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, hey, still, tip of the cap to NWA. They're getting their product in front of as many eyes as possible. And like Adam said, it, it it's just good for business. You know, it, it anything to draw more attention to wrestling... I think it's a good thing. Whether or not NWA does anything ratings-wise, we'll see what happens. That's, That's a big if, but hey, good for both companies, you know, turning a new leaf, as it were, in the wrestling business. All right, well, let's get to the task at hand tonight, fellas. Tonight, we are doing another of our wrestler profiles, last time we... Profile the career of Hulk Hogan. Tonight we are profiling the career of his Mega Powers teammate, the one, the only, Randy the Macho Man Savage. Oh man, Randy Savage! He, he he's definitely in my um, Mount Rushmore of wrestlers of all time. I love I love the Macho Man, especially that run he had. Um, in the uh, 80s and early 90s in the WWF, those were his glory years there. It, just not a lot of guys could do what he did in the ring. He revolutionized a lot of stuff. And that character, he's just one of the most indelible characters in wrestling history. When you, when you think of Randy Savage, you just think... The promos that he cut, you know, of course, and oh yeah, you know everybody ha- everybody busts out their, their their Savage impression whenever he's being talked about, and it's it's a very rare talent to make people instantly try to imitate you when when your name comes up. <coughs> um, what kind of impact did Randy Savage have on you guys as as fans of wrestling growing up? Let's start with you, Bob.
1: Randy Savage was different in the fact that uh I mean he had charisma for days the guy like you said his promos were very appealing uh one second he could just be talking to you and then the next second you know he clicks that switch and uh the voice starts increasing in volume and you know he starts getting into his character and you know the intensity in his eyes and just uh the scraggly hair that he had and the beard—it was just like, damn, you know, like you—you you were just drawn in, you were mesmerized by what the guy had to say. And at that time, you know, when we we're first starting to watch wrestling, you, all you see is just monsters—Andre the Giant and King Kong Bundy—and you know, Hulk Hogan—you know, roided up to the gills and Macho Man at that time was a smaller guy, and he, you know, coming off the top rope, which we didn't see a lot of that. You know, it was like you just saw a lot of the. uh Hold wrestling and stuff like that. So, Macho Man coming off the top of that macho elbow, that was something different. And it was just like, wow, okay, this is a smaller guy who can wrestle. And he was one of those first people that attracted me to, uh, you know, smaller people wrestling. Because, like I said, he wasn't one of the, the giants and in, in the land of monsters that the WWF was when they were first starting to come out. So, I loved everything about the guy. His matches were always entertaining. And then, as you know, you hear more about his career as time went on. You know, he was just a stickler for for certain points in his matches, and you could see the perfection that came out in them, so a lot of great matches in his career. Yeah.
0: How about you, Adam? What what kind of impact did Savage have on you as a a fan?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, again, you just said the Mount Rushmore wrestling. I mean, when, when someone says the word professional wrestler, I, of course, go to Hogan, but Probably Ric Flair and and Savage is right there with those guys. I mean, uh, larger than life personality. Um, yeah, he wasn't as built uh, to the gills as is a guy like Hogan or some of the other guys Bob mentioned, but you know he was still a presence. Uh, the word inten- he used the word intensity. Uh, that's a good word because uh, he was intense in his promos and yeah, in the ring he just uh, everything had a Everything had a reason for it. He was just a great worker. Uh the the stuff up the top rope. Again, yeah, we didn't see a lot of that back then in the in the mid to late eighties. Uh I remember him doing the uh the double axe handles onto the floor too. Guy'd be just outside the ring and you know, and he'd do the double axe handle to the floor. Or uh he he'd do the move where he'd uh where he'd take the guy, he'd run towards uh from one end of the ring to the other, and he kind of clotheslined the guy on the on the rope, and he jumped to the floor. He just he did a lot of things that, that, that you didn't see back then. Like Bob says, more hole based and, and slams and and stuff like that. So uh, then you know, besides Dusty Rhodes, uh, he was the other one who played the elbow smash a lot. He was always doing a lot of elbows. He just uh, even he even kind of reminded me of Dusty in a sense because of the way he punched and did the elbows and stuff he just uh he stuck out for the rest and uh again he just had a larger life personality people outside uh who weren't even in the wrestling know who randy savage is to this day you just hear the the yeah or or you see slim jim in the grocery store that's who you're thinking of so uh yeah one of the hugest figures in the history of the business and for good reason
0: yeah well, let's get into the task at hand, gentlemen. Let's profile the career of Randy, the Macho Man Savage. All right. Randy Savage was born Randy Mario Poffo on November 15th, 1952 in Columbus, Ohio. His parents were Judy and Angelo Poffo. Um... Judy was a homemaker uh, She was a housewife And Angelo was A wrestler He was actually a really uh, Well known wrestler but before he became a wrestler Angelo had um, Another claim To fame in, While he was in the Navy in 1945 He set the Guinness Book of World Records uh, He set the record For most sit-ups in one you know most completed sit ups in one set, and the old record was six thousand, and he eclipsed that he did six thousand and thirty three in one set, and Angelo said that the reason it was six six thousand and thirty i'm sorry six thousand and thirty three he said the reason it was six thousand and thirty three was the he had the record of six thousand and then Thirty-three was one sit-up for every year that Jesus was born. So oh. I, I guess you know Angelo was a very devout uh, Catholic. So yeah, Angelo got himself into the Guinness Book of World Records that way, and he used that notoriety after he, um, after he got out of the Navy, to establish himself as a wrestler. So he got himself some wrestling gigs in and around the Midwest. And he was known as Angelo Poffo, but he was also known in certain circles as the miser. And they called him the miser because Angelo Pafo was notoriously cheap. The man would not spend anything <laughs> on, you know, anything he got paid, he saved. And this was, he instilled this in both Randy and his brother Lanny, who would later become a wrestler himself as the genius, he would tell his sons, you know, when they got into the business, save your money, S-Y-M, save everything you 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 make because you never know when it's going to end, and you have to be set just in case your career is over in a snap. And that really made an impact on Randy. Um, Randy took those words to heart because when – you know, in that era in the '80s, when you had guys like Ric Flair and Hogan who would stay at um, high-end hotels like the Hilton or the Marriott, Savage would always go to like a Motel Six or a Super Eight and stay there—just the cheapest hotel he could find. Savage would go to instead of you know the the higher-end hotels, which he could have afforded at the time, but he just had that. That you know, save your money thing instilled in him and his father from a very young age. Um, but originally, Randy was not interested in wrestling. Um, Randy was a baseball player and a very good baseball player at that. He was an all state baseball player at uh, Downers Grove South High School. The the Paphos grew up in Downers Grove, Illinois. Um, Judy, his mother um they they uh she grew up in the the chicagoland area and after her boys were born when they were in ohio uh for angelo's job she really wanted to come back home so they moved back to illinois and settled in downers grove and that's where randy um in high school became a really big uh baseball player and to the point where he was he was um he was all state in high school, and made a name for himself. But um, he was in, he was not drafted out of high school. What happened was, uh, he felt that he could he could hang, and so Angelo took him to an open tryout that was being held uh, by the St. Louis Cardinals, and he impressed the Cardinals so much that they offered him a contract right then and there. So Randy uh played several years of minor league baseball right out of high school. In the in the uh for the uh, St. Louis organization. He also played for the White Sox organization and um, I forgot what uh the Reds. He also played in the Reds organization. And uh in the four seasons he played in uh, the minor leagues, he had a career two fifty-four average and hit 16 home runs while playing catcher, outfielder, and first base. And a lot of, uh, you know, Savage was known for being very meticulous in his craft. And he showed this in uh, his baseball career, too, because while a natural righty, he he trained himself to be able to bat and throw left-handed just in case he got injured not because he needed to but just in case he got injured he wanted to know how to throw the opposite hand just so it wouldn't stop him um so guys when you hear all this like how he uh he started in the minor leagues in baseball and he he trained himself to be ambidextrous just in case he loses the use of his right hand um that's kind of that's weird a little bit i think but knowing Randy Savage and the in the, in the stories you hear about him, it's not out of place. Um, like, what does that what does that make you guys feel? Let's start with you, start with you Bob. I was
1: just thinking about how I felt bad for his mom that she had to deal with those three dudes in the house all the time. You know? <laughs> Fuck. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you know more about him as his career, especially, you know, the biggest thing is the Ricky Steamboat match, how... He planned that match down to the second. Um, It doesn't surprise me how meticulous he was with everything, like being a perfectionist. And, you know, he wanted to be the best at his craft and the best at what he did. And at that time, it was baseball. And like you said, um, just in case he ever got injured, he could do it. But, I mean, being a switch hitter at that time, you know, that wasn't, um, you know, something different in baseball. So, he, uh, yeah, it really doesn't surprise me, especially when it comes to the Macho Man. You know, whatever you could do and uh, be an advantage for, for a team if you could do both everything righty and lefty. So, yeah, that, that's awesome. Good for him.
0: Yeah. How about you, Adam?
2: I feel sorry for him that he had to be in the Cardinal organization. But, uh, anyway, um, yeah, uh, If if I had to be stranded uh, if i got stranded on the desert island i think with with the professional wrestler i think randy savage would be an excellent choice to have along because he'd somehow find a way to get us off uh off the island um uh, just based on hearing things like that uh he just yeah it doesn't surprise me at all just uh meticulous uh hulk hogan is called him a detailed freak um he just yeah he just uh Put everything he had into to his passions, and that's 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 an admirable that's an admirable thing. So, yeah, uh, you know, if you can do it, why the hell not? That's that's pretty awesome, I think. Yeah.
0: Well, like I said, he Randy originally um, gives it a try in baseball, plays four years in the minors, but then is eventually cut, and that's the end of his baseball career. Um, as Lanny uh, would later say, uh, he remembers Randy driving after getting cut. Randy driving home, parking his car in the driveway, taking all the baseball bats that he had, and just swinging them and breaking them against a tree in their backyard. And like he, he had like something around like five or six baseball bats, and he just took every single one of them, swung them against the tree, shattered them, and. That was Randy's way of being like, okay, well, I'm done with baseball, now what? And the now what would be wrestling. Because as we mentioned before, Angelo Paffo himself was a professional wrestler. So when things ended baseball-wise for Randy, um, he kind of took an interest in his dad's business. Originally, Angelo didn't want either Lanny or Randy, to go into the business. He wanted them, you know, to exercise any kind of uh, athletic feats outside of wrestling or, if that didn't happen, you know, make a living someplace else because he knew what the wrestling business was like and he knew how hard of a life it was. But just after a while, he saw that both of his boys had some some talent you know, Randy, of course, more so than Lanny, but um, he, he saw that there was talent to be had with his boys in the wrestling business. So they started traveling with him when he was working the Midwest territories. Uh, originally, Randy wrestled under a mask and called himself the Spider. That was his first gimmick, um, which is kind of uh, <laughs> it was kind of uh, ironic considering that he would later be known for. Uh, being Bonesaw McGraw in the Spider-Man movie. We'll get to that later. Um, but, yeah, after after uh, wrestling as the Spider for a little bit, uh, he took uh, Ole Anderson, actually, um, was uh, the one who uh, gave him the Savage nickname uh, when he was working for Georgia Championship Wrestling because he said that, Papo wrestled like a savage, so there you go. He goes from being Randy he well, the Spider, and then Randy Papo and he goes to being Randy Savage. Uh, the Macho Man part came kind of, uh, kind of weirdly. Um, he already had, he had already made a decision to change his name to Savage, but he couldn't really get another nickname going for him, so he asked his mom to come up with a list of nicknames for him um and his mom like wrote him a list and mailed it to him and his mom says that she called him back as like macho man where where the hell did you get macho man from and she's like i don't know i heard it on tv somewhere and and he was like you know what i kind of like the i kind of like the sound of that randy macho man savage so there he there you go. His mom came up with the Macho Man nickname. Um, also, Randy was very insecure in his uh promo abilities when it first when he first started as well. Um he thought that, you know, he had a he had a naturally raspy voice as you know, which became his trademark, of course. But he was very insecure about it because a lot of the other wrestlers that very bellowing, clear voices. And Randy just didn't really have, um, he thought his voice didn't really fit that. But Lanny gave him a lot of, uh, gave him a lot of confidence. It was like, no, you, you got to use that, dif- that difference in your voice to your advantage. It's very unique. You got to, you got to, you got to really lay into it. So Randy tried a few different approaches, but he wasn't really finding, um, Anything that would stick. And so finally he's like, well, what should I do? And Lanny was like, well, remember when we traveled out to, uh, or we wrestled out in Hawaii? Yes. Do you remember King Curtis Iakea? And Randy was like, yeah, I remember him. I was like, how did he deliver his promos? Well, King Curtis Iakea was, was famous for delivering his promos like this. He would start out in a whisper, just a very soft voice, very calm very mannered and then all just gradually he'd start raising it and raising and raising until by the end of the promo he was like screaming almost at the top of his lungs and Randy was like yeah I could do that so he starts practicing but you know he took a different approach to it instead of starting off slow and gradually building to shouting he would modulate He would start slow and then really get up in and then bring it back down slow again. And then he'd he'd just keep doing that on and off, on and off, and that became his trademark. And he really, really, you know, started focusing on that, go really soft, really, you know, the macho man. And, 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 you know, just how famous he was for his delivery like that. But he also needed a catchphrase. And he he was just like, I can't f I can't come up with a catchphrase to save my life. And then Lanny was like, Do you remember a wrestler when we also when we were in Hawaii, his name was Pampiro Furpo? And he's like, Yeah, I remember Pampiro Furpo. And he's like, Remember how he used to end every promo by going, Ooh yeah He's like, yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that. And he's like, Well do it. So Randy Savage stole the oh yeah catchphrase from a wrestler, a kind of obscure wrestler from Hawaii named Pampiro Furpo. And if you go back and like go on YouTube and look up Pampiro Furpo, you would see that signature oh yeah. He was doing it years before Macho Man was. Macho Man just kind of straight up stole it from him. But Lanny would have said, "Yeah, he stole it, but he he more or less perfected it as well, because he got it. You know the way he delivered it, it made everybody uh, notice him. So, how did you, I don't know if you guys knew any of that information. What What are you guys thinking about when you hear that he, not really ripped off, but kind of took things that existed from King Curtis Ikea, and Pampiro Frupo, and just made it into what he did. Let's start with you this time, Adam.
2: I mean, it's, you know, not the first time and certainly won't be the last. Someone, you know, kind of took some elements of somebody and made it their own. I mean, everyone, you know, remembers, you know, St- Steve Austin says that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so, but Arn Anderson was saying that's the bottom line way before that, you know, but... uh you know, it's it's like anything, you know, it's like when you're incorp when you're creating a character or you're creating a, a a certain sound if you're a musician in a band, you you kind of adopt elements of of things, um, but then you put your own spin on it. So that's kinda of what I take out of it. Uh the thing uh that I'm interested about is uh of course we know Landy is a uh a gifted poet, uh, but I didn't know that uh he lent so much career advice uh to his brother. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he was quite so instrumental in those things. So, um, you no, know, that's that's something I didn't know. But uh again, um, uh, that's that's just that's been going on. I mean, some some would argue, you know, Gorgeous George, uh, you know, was one of the was a big name pro wrestler back in the day and there's there's elements of his act that you know, Rick Flair kinda used, you know, with the robes and and stuff like that and, and being flamboyant and, and, and larger than life. So it's you know, it wasn't a blatant rip off, but uh, you know, that's you know, that's just how it goes. You, you just kind of Hulk Hogan superstar Billy Graham, that's another one. So you know, it's just
1: just another example of that.
0: Yeah. How about you, Bob?
1: Yeah, I agree. Um the Hogan superstar was the first thing I thought of and then I also thought about Flair. Stealing the uh nature boy name from Buddy Rogers, and you know, like he mentioned, the gorgeous George and Flair coming up with uh the woo from Jerry Lee Lewis from his songs from Great Balls of Fire. So, I mean, whatever you could get your inspiration from, you know, whether it be uh obscure wrestlers from back in the day, or um, I remember if uh if you remember watching the uh the Undertaker documentary on A, uh, A&E where he said uh, he stole the heart punch, you know, so it's like you you just steal different things from different people and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, it doesn't, and um, I think where you said Lanny, said it perf- like, uh, great, where he said you know, he may have stole it from somebody else, but he perfected it, and if you perfect it, hey, it's yours, no one else can touch it, so um, you know, that's one of the signature things along with the Macho Man, and he yeah, the, the Macho Man name, and The, uh, you know, the, the, ooh, yeah, was, was a big part of his character. But as he progressed and further on, we, we start talking about, you know, his, uh, his, his style and his fashion. And that was something that he, uh, he came up with as well. And, you know, something different at the time, his colors, the extravagant colors he was wearing and the hats he would wear. And that's what made the character. He made it himself.
0: Yeah, he definitely did. Um, all right, well, we, we uh, go from this point. We, this is around the late 70s, early 80s, and, you know, Lanny and uh, Randy are both following their father around the territories, and uh, Angelo is getting a little bit um, upset that, you know, his boys aren't really catching on with any of the established territories, so what he decides to do is start his own outlaw federation, and they call it the uh, International Championship Wrestling, or ICW, uh, and they base it out of uh, Kentucky. And when I say it's an outlaw federation, I mean it's a federation that is not affiliated with the NWA uh, in any way, shape, or form. Um, there were there were <clears throat> like pockets of these uh, outlaw federations here and there in the territories. Uh, and they were just companies that were started up without NWA support, uh, but they were still trying to gain a foothold into the business. And ICW had kind of um kind of an upper hand because Angelo at that time was a fairly well known name, so they were able to gain a foothold in the Kentucky area. And not only that, they were able to gain some TV time. He was able to parlay his name into getting uh, local TV time in the Kentucky area, which got eyes on ICW. And a lot of the things that uh, ICW would do in order to get more eyes on them is they would start um, kind of like shoot fights with uh, Memphis Championship Wrestling, which was the the home of uh, Jerry Lawler, and it was the federation that was ran by uh, Jerry Jarrett. Uh, what they would do is they would show up unannounced at Memphis shows sit in the uh like the front row and try and start shit with the other uh Memphis wrestlers and stuff like this would go on back and forth and uh, like I said it was a lot of it was i c w just trying to make a name for themselves um, originally it was not met with uh with, with uh a lot of enthusiasm. There would there would be really real shoot fights that would break out between um, between the federations and one of the more infamous things. Uh, this is a story that uh, was told by several people. Apparently, after an MCW show, um, Randy Savage and uh, Jackie Fargo had gotten into it with each other in the parking lot, and then Fargo pulled a gun on Savage and Savage took the gun out of Fargo's hands and pistol-whipped him with it. Um, (laughs) This was confirmed by several other people, um, including Jerry Lawler. But um, Fargo... to Go ahead, Bob.
1: It was Bill Dundee. It wasn't Jackie Fargo. It was
0: Bill Dundee. I'm sorry, not
1: Jackie Fargo. Yeah, you're right.
0: It was Bill Dundee. Um, It was confirmed by several people that it happened. Bill Dundee, of course, swore that it never did, but... You know, if you get a gun taken away from you and pistol whipped with it, you're not going to want to admit to that either. Um, But that just solidified Randy's savage reputation as well. So it worked all in his favor. Eventually, ICW, being the outlaw um, promotion that it was, just didn't have enough uh, of a backing to, to sustain. So it eventually dissolved, but... Jerry Jarrett had it in his mind. It's like, you know what? I could use this to my advantage and kind of have a, um, like a worked angle here with these guys, bring them into the fold and have them, you know, fight with my guys. So once ICW dissolved, Randy Savage was sucked into, uh, Memphis Championship Wrestling. Um, what I forgot to mention, of course, too, was while he was in ICW and in Kentucky, um, Randy started dating um, one of the television presenters that was working for ICW on their TV, uh, on their TV program. Her name was Elizabeth Hewlett. And eventually they would uh, end up being married and she would factor very, very prominently in his career, as I will say, um, you know, moving forward. Um, So yeah, Savage goes into Memphis Championship Wrestling, gets hugely popular in Memphis to the point where he starts gaining the attention of one Vince McMahon up in uh, the WWF. By this point, Vince had already bought out uh, the company from his father and was in the process of taking all the top talent from the territories and bringing them into the WWF. And, like you said, word got got to him about Savage. He saw him, instantly fell in love with him, and plucked Savage out of Memphis and bought him into WWF in the spring of 1985. Um, Yeah, so Savage goes to New York, and I remember one of the... F- and this this was really cool. One of the first things they did they treated Savage like the biggest free agent signing of all time on on WWF TV to the point where every single manager was was bidding for his uh, for his services. You know, you had guys, you had uh, Heenan, you had Albano, all, all the top managers of of that period. They they did a uh, they did a, a segment on TV where they were all clamoring to be Macho Man's uh, manager, but in the end, Savage rejects all of them and he's like, "I already have a manager," and he brings out his wife, Miss Elizabeth, and everybody is just like, "Oh, I, I remember Sa- uh, Vince McMahon." Um, calling this as it was, it was like, oh my God, look how beautiful she is. Is she a model? Is she a movie star? Look at her. <coughs> and, you know, Elizabeth was v- was very pretty. Um, but she was, you know, very soft-spoken, very mild-mannered, which perfectly contrasted with Savage, I believe. You know, Savage was over the top. Elizabeth was like that counterweight to, to him. You know, she was very grounded very soft-spoken would kind of wince at like whenever he would go over the top was like she was like "Mm," like a little delicate flower next to savage um when you guys first saw savage on wwf tv along with elizabeth what were your thoughts let's start with you bob
1: like i said at the beginning i mean he was different he um you know I, I really like how you how you mentioned you know how they brought him in as the biggest free agent and they had you know Bobby Heenan and, and all these other people fighting for uh, for his attention and all of a sudden out of nowhere you get Miss Elizabeth because she was one of the first female valets that they had you know all the other managers you had uh, were all male so in the WWE to have her come out you know that was something different and like you said the, the way that they worked together where he was loud and brash and she was the complete opposite um but it, it was just so, there was something different about him like I said he wasn't this huge ginormous wrestler in the ring but he could fly around the ring and come off the top rope and it was just something that uh, always gravitated me towards him and, and seeing him wrestle All
0: right. how about you Adam
2: yeah uh, I, I didn't really catch him at the beginning uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to it I I um but that that's a good way to incorporate somebody uh in there is you know make them look important uh right off the bat uh in terms of all the managers clamoring for uh for services um uh, and yeah uh obviously as bob just said uh female managers weren't weren't really a thing back then, so to have her uh elizabeth with him was different you know she was easy on the eyes, so you know uh that that drew attention from people and again yeah it was it was a very good match because he was so over the top and and she kind of balanced it out you could see how it would work as a partnership when he says I already have a manager because you know she knew him so she knew how to rein him in and how to keep him grounded when he did go over over the top, it was it was just uh, was a great pairing from from the start. So, uh, yeah, uh, the uniqueness of having a, a female manager as well as uh, the way he performed and looked, uh, yeah, it made him stand out from the rest. You know, again, WWE still to this day is kind of the land of giants. So you, you got to have uh, something to set you apart. So uh, his personality, his style in the ring, and his choice of manager; uh, those are three great components to have made him a success right off the bat.
0: Yeah. Well, originally, you know, when when Macho Man debuts with Elizabeth, you know, he's a heel going in, and part of his heel persona was he was kind of a bully to Elizabeth. You know, he would he would uh, you know order her around, um, make sure that you know he was she was doing what he said, and. If anybody had like looked at her, or he thought was leering at at her, he would go out of his mind. Apparently, this was a little bit uh, more truth than than fiction because Savage had a very big reputation backstage of being insanely controlling and jealous when it came to Elizabeth. Um, they, you know, he would demand that she has she have her own dressing room where she changed privately. Um, he, she always had, to, he always had to be with her at all times cause he didn't trust any of the boys of being alone with her at all. Um, there's also this story that Hogan said that, um, you know, whenever he, you know, if she decided to stay home while he was on the road, he would lock her in the house and she was not allowed to leave. You know, these are stories that, you know, when you, when you look, when you think back on it, it's like, Jesus Christ, that's. It's abusive behavior. That's fucking ridiculous. But apparently, that's how he was with Elizabeth in real life. It's uh, you know, art imitating life, I guess. When he was that bully character that he was with Elizabeth, um, yeah. And he, maybe that's why it was so, uh, so engaging because it was, you know, it wasn't far from from reality, I guess. Um, so yeah, so there we go. He debuts in WWF. He starts off in a feud with, uh, instantly starts off in a feud with, uh, Intercontinental champ at the time, Tito Santana, and eventually takes the Intercontinental belt from him. And there you go. In short order, he goes, he's in the WWF and all of a sudden, bam, he's their IC champion. Um, and this lead, you know, he has various feuds in the IC, uh, for the icy belt, And then he has a very memorable, uh, feud with George, the animal steel, uh, George, the animal steel <clears throat> would, uh, they did this angle where he would fall in love with Elizabeth and try to kid- kidnap her, uh, and take her backstage every, every single time. It's like, he was, a uh, like an old, uh, like universal monster. And, and Elizabeth was the damsel in the stress, that's kind of how it was back in the day, and you remember George Animal Steel would come out and eat the turnbuckles, and he had the green tongue and everything. It, it, it was it was memorable. It was it was a memorable angle. But that um, eventually, you know, George Animal Steel uh, that angle with Steel would kind of overflow into um, his run-ins with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, in a memorable instance leading up to WrestleMania III, uh Savage would take the uh, the ring bell from ringside, go off the top rope, and smash the ring bell into uh, Steamboat's throat, causing an injury. And that would set up what many people still call as one of, if not the best WrestleMania match of all time. The WrestleMania 3 match between Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for the Icy Belt. Um, and I say that George Steele factors in because George Steele was in Ricky Steamboat's corner for the match. Um, I think all three of us have seen this match several times over. Um, it, one of the most celebrated matches of all time. What is your, like, what is your fine, like, what is your takeaways now of that classic match between Steamboat and Savage? Let's start with you, Adam.
2: I mean, uh I watched uh Savage's biography on A um, and E, um, in Steamboat <laughs> kind of detail just how many different components there were to the match and, and uh as we made reference to earlier, Savage being a meticulous planner. They had it all laid out and numbered and Savage would quiz Steamboat on you know, oh, what, what's what's number thirty-eight? What's what's number one hundred four? And Steamboat would have to recite it to him and everything like that. Um, it's it, it's really a match made in heaven because again, Savage was so detail oriented, wanted to have the best match of the card on the card. Hard worker and Steamboat just again uh, like a duck to water. Just uh, the guy can have a fantastic match in his sleep. Just one of the best pure workers there are. Uh, in the history of of wrestling, so uh, this is just a classic written all over it. Two guys just at the top of their craft. Um, you know, obviously WrestleMania three, everyone was tuning in for Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, but you know, I'm sure uh, both both guys were like, "Hey, uh, you know, everyone's tuned in to to uh, to see this match, but we want to steal the show," and uh, you know, arguably. They came pretty close. Uh, Just, um, again, it had a faster pace to it than it did, um, you know, back in those days, much less methodical. Um, Just lots going on, a lot of high spots. And, and again, uh, just fast action, jumping off the turnbuckle. Um, It's just something different at the time. Um, But, again, just, just two guys who were the absolute best at what they did um, and then factor in what you mentioned with the attacking Steamboat with the bell uh, like that just making Savage as vicious of, of a of a heel as you could for someone who's just so likable like Steamboat it's, it was just the perfect
1: perfect combination yeah
0: how about you Bob what are your thoughts on Steamboat Savage at WrestleMania 3
1: I mean, I think before that, when he took the belt from from Tito Santana, I think he helped establish that belt as one of the main ones that they had. You know, he he brought it up to a different level uh, and made the Intercontinental title important. So then, yeah, Adam Adam said it perfectly when, you know, you had the, the perfect baby face and the perfect heel to go alongside with them. And uh, that match is still one of the greatest of all time. Um, so many false finishes in that match. So many inside cradles, small packages and you know, it could end at any time, but they just kept you know, kept you on the edge of your seat and that's what makes a match perfect and uh the storytelling that they told with it was great. So it's still, in my opinion, one of the best WrestleMania matches of all time.
0: Very much so. Well, that was WrestleMania three, uh, in eighty seven. Savage by this by the next year was in not, you know. Not just the intercontinental hunt; he was in the championship hunt by the next year. Because, as we uh, talked about in the Hulk Hogan uh, wrestler profile, uh, Hogan was going to be taking a break. After you know, after WrestleMania four, to make the uh, the Academy Award winning uh, epic No Holds Barred. Um, Watch that smell. <laughs> but while he was away you Know they had to take the belt off of him, and somebody had to take up the mantle. And it turns out that that person was going to be savage. So, what happened was, um, Hogan, uh, at the first Saturday night's main event lost the belt to Andre the Giant under nefarious circumstances. Um, and then it's cheating happens. yeah. And then what happened was, uh, WWF president Jack Tunney stripped Andre of the belt and he made that WrestleMania four was going to be a tournament for the now vacant WWF championship and Savage would end up winning this tournament at WrestleMania four beating the million dollar man Ted DiBiase in the final. So there we go. Randy Savage is now your heavyweight champion and yeah, and everybody was, everybody was wondering, you know, is Savage going to be, you know, how how is Savage going to be with the belt? Is, is business going to dip, you know, because Hogan's not here? What, what's going to happen? Business was just fine with Savage holding the belt. Everybody really kind of rallied around Savage as the world champion, and business was going fine, I, you know i I thought savage as world champion was awesome I think he he had some great feuds um with the likes of uh you know um what's it called the million dollar man like we said um big boss man Andre the giant he was having he was having some really great matches with uh, with the championship belt around his waist what how about you guys what were your thoughts? When Savage became world champion, were you were you sold, or was it just like, well, if it if it's not Hogan, I'm not interested. Let's start with you, Bob.
1: No, I was sold on it. It was something different. Um, I thought he was behind Hogan. He was their next one up. Um, You know, with with regards to um, who the crowd cheered for, who was be who you know the popularity that he had. It was. Hogan was, was 1A and Savage was right there right behind him and uh, yeah it was just fun to watch him and his character was just increasing in popularity and his um, his matches were getting better and better and better and you know so when he won that um, like you said the the feuds he had with the one man gang and the big boss man Andre the Giant um, you know it was just great and then from there you know it ends up Creating the Mega Power soon after that, while he was still champ. So uh, again, just perfect storytelling for for the character that he had.
0: Yeah. How about you, Adam? What are your thoughts on Savage's champ?
2: No, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I was totally sold on it because yeah, he was the clear uh, number two uh, behind Hogan, and uh, you know. Due to just again uh everything he put out there he was a memorable character he's the by this point he's a likable character he had miss elizabeth with you and uh yeah it was kind of the same formula you know because you mentioned all those big guys boss man andre and and one man gang um you know hogan would tangle with the giants and savage did the same um and Dare I say, I, I, well, I won't dare I say the the matches were better because Savage was a better all around wrestler. um You know, in in this journey at WrestleMania Four, you know, there's so many. If you go through the history of WrestleMania, you always they always call it the road to WrestleMania, and you see somebody get their their time. You know, they 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 get their run. They finally reach the top of the mountain. And Savage was the first example of that, because since the beginning of WrestleMania, Hogan was champion going in every show. So this was the first attempt to establish somebody else at the top of the mountain, and uh, I think it was was largely successful. I, I I certainly was sold on it and was excited to see what was happening next. You know, um, it gone were the days of like Bruno or or Backlund having the title for. A decade so uh it was a welcome change in my opinion
0: yeah so you know savage has the belt but ultimately uh hogan has to come back because you know he is hulk hogan and his presence is demanded so he comes back uh i remember it was an episode of uh it was the main event wasn't it when uh when uh, Elizabeth drags him out from backstage, when uh, yeah. Savage is getting beat beat on by um, who was it? it? Was it was a it was a Heart
1: Foundation, I, and
0: the yeah, Heart Foundation and the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, Heart Foundation, the Honky Tonk Man. They're they're doing a three on one on Savage, and Elizabeth goes backstage, and she's dragging Hogan out, and Hogan's like, "Whoa, what's going on? I I, I don't." And then he sees the ring, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh!" He starts hulking out. He's like looking around his eyes bulge out. He starts breathing really deep and he goes and he makes the save. <coughs> and um, from that point on, the mega powers are born Hogan and Savage team up. They become the mega powers. They, um, they feud with the likes of the mega bucks, uh, which was, um, it was, it was DiBiase and, um, and Andre, the giant, okay. you know, the, you know, part, and um, they also feuding with the Twin Towers, which was Big Boss Man and the uh, they That that tag team is really huge. Up in the in the they keep it going all the way leading up to WrestleMania Five in 1989. Um, at WrestleMania, leading up to WrestleMania, the Mega Powers, you know. They're 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 going they're they're going well, going well, going well. But then that jealousy that, that Savage has um starts creeping in a little bit because he thinks that Hogan and Elizabeth are getting a little bit too chummy with each other. And he's just kind of looking at them like kind of side eyed, like what's going on here, brother? And then um eventually uh they have a match with the Twin Towers. On a Saturday again, on a Saturday night's main event, and um, during the match, <clears throat> Miss Elizabeth gets injured. She um, she gets knocked off the apron and knocked unconscious. And Hogan, being the uh, the chivalrous gentleman that he is, picks up Elizabeth and takes her backstage to get medical attention. And Savage sees this. He sees Hogan leaving him with elizabeth in her in his arms and going backstage and you know he's like what what the hell brother and eventually you know twin towers take advantage pin savage it's lost savage goes backstage to confront hogan about everything and you know hogan's like well elizabeth got injured i what, what's the matter with you and uh Savage is going. I see the lust in your eyes when it comes to Elizabeth, brother. I see it. he puts his he points his finger in his face. He's like, "I see it. I see it in your eyes, Hogan. You lust after Elizabeth." And, you know, H- he's just getting upset. He walks away. Hogan pleads to Elizabeth, "Please tell him." It. And then all of a sudden you see Savage is running up and hitting Hogan with, with in the head with the belt. And then he gets on top and starts pounding on him and Boom, the mega powers explode. It's it's over. Mega powers no more. And that sets up the match at WrestleMania 5 between Hogan and Savage um for the belt. And as Savage goes heel, of course he no longer has the services of Elizabeth and that this brings in the services of the one the only Sherry Martel. Sensational Sherry comes in and becomes uh, Savage's new manager. And she stays in that role for a long time because Savage um, stays heel for a couple of years after um, after this whole thing goes down. But that match, the Mega Powers Explode match, is a very huge um, cornerstone in um, 80s WWF. Um, What was your guys' opinion of the Mega Powers exploding match at WrestleMania 5 Let's start with you, Bob.
1: Well, I still remember watching the main event when that happened. I mean, we're talking about 1989 when that happened, and it's still such a memorable moment uh, in professional wrestling history. You know, like just uh, watching it live, and like you said, um, you know, the the breakup backstage and what happened there, I was just like, holy crap, like, you know, the storyline was so great. Uh, you think that these two guys are best friends and then like you said a woman comes in between them and and breaks it up and you know leading to that uh to that match um at WrestleMania and uh if you remember there you know Elizabeth is still torn she doesn't know what to do with regards to that match too and um just a great match between the two and um when he afterwards when he becomes the macho king uh and, and goes with sister sherry like uh that that's great too so it's just I feel like this is getting to that that peak of that uh, the early career of the Macho Man and you know, he had, uh some of his best time with the WWF at that time.
0: Yeah. How about you, Adam?
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Uh, I remember watching the same main event, and uh, that's uh, that's where I really noticed uh, just how intense Savage could be. Uh, that. that promo he cut on him in the in the dressing room like I was legitimately scared he was gonna really screw up Hogan because he was so pissed off and it came across you know uh, loud and clear on the screen and then to attack him like that it was it was just a great setup um you know and I remember watching the match at Wrestlemania 5 and of course I was a dyed in the wool Hulkamaniac then but uh, I I I couldn't help it. Uh, you know, I had grown to really like Savage too. So it was, it wasn't quite like Hogan. Warrior the the next year, WrestleMania six. Obviously, they both were not baby faces, but you know, Savage had just endeared himself to me very quickly, and uh, it was hard for me to to uh to completely root against him because he was just so good um in the ring and and uh was such a great personality so I don't think I ever you know you know sure was I disappointed but I don't think I ever really turned it on Randy Savage to the point like oh he's such a jerk he, he attacked Hogan I so it was, uh, it was kind of bittersweet for me as a young wrestling fan because they were like two favorites and there they are going at it so um a lot of drama uh the other thing i'll add to the wrestlemania five matches i mean i i don't know what was going on behind the scenes at the time but i think this is beginning this kind of kick starting the real life rivalry between the two because hogan and savage had a up and down relationship throughout their entire relationship you know some some days they were tight other days they couldn't stand each other so um this feud might have been the start of all that for all we know
0: yeah, that's true. Um all right, so we so we um we're at this point where Hogan gets the title back from Savage. Um and like I said, Savage goes on and stays heel with Sherry for the next uh you know, pretty significant amount of time, next couple, next few years. Um in that time Savage wins the King of the Ring tournament and becomes the Macho King if you remember you you go around you'd uh carry that scepter along with him which you would use to uh to win underhandedly in a lot of his matches. Um and Sherry being there right with him the entire time. Um this led to um going up in, in nineteen ninety one um which was WrestleMania six. Uh let's see here No, no, wait, I'm sorry. WrestleMania 7, WrestleMania 7, which was 1990, yeah. Yeah,
2: That was 91, yeah. Yeah,
0: 91. WrestleMania 7 in 1991. um, Savage is feuding with the Ultimate Warrior, and they book a match between the Warrior and Savage, which was a retirement match. Uh, The loser would have to retire. And ultimately, Savage loses the match. So, in case, you know, the angle was he had to retire. So, famously, after the match, Sherry turns on Savage. She starts kicking him, beating him, like slamming his head on the ground after the match. And that brings Elizabeth out. And Elizabeth comes out and dispenses with Sherry. And the crowd's going apeshit for all of this. Savage gets back up. He looks at Elizabeth, realizes what's happening, and then all of a sudden they embrace in the ring, and the crowd goes nuts. They cut to the camera, and there's people crying and shit. I remember that one. They, they cut to this one guy in glasses, and he's weep—he's openly weeping. Um, yeah. And then Savage puts Elizabeth on his shoulders, and yeah memorable pretty memorable way to end that match um, honestly I, I I remember the moment I forgot that the warrior was even involved in any of that. I just remember the end of the match um, but yeah one of the, one of the better um, one of the better uh, reunifications in wrestling history um, in real life by this point, savage and Elizabeth had already been on the outs and they were actually. In the process of getting divorced, when when this is all happening, um, but hey, wrestling's a business, and you got to do what makes money. So, um, divorce, the schmorse. You know, they they <laughs> they just kept on acting like they were still together, to the point where even during uh, while divorce proceedings were in in uh, in process. They uh, did the whole thing where Savage proposes to Miss Miss Elizabeth in the middle of the ring. Um, And, uh, you know, famously, Savage gets down on one knee with the ring, goes, Elizabeth, will you marry me? And then she replies, oh, yeah. And the crowd again pops. And yeah. Yeah. Which leads ultimately to (laughs) uh, the wedding of uh, Randy Macho Man Savage and Miss Elizabeth, which of course was a beautiful affair that was ultimately ruined by the dastardly Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, What happened was, you know, after the ceremony, they're opening up their gifts backstage Elizabeth goes and opens a present, and all of a sudden, a fucking cobra pops out of the box. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth screams. Savage is, like, you know, holding her back. Everybody's going nuts. Mean Gene is pissing himself. It's... (laughs) one of the more memorable, one of the more memorable backstage things of those early WWF days. I wanted to get your guys' reaction to that whole thing. What was, what was your reaction to the snake jumping out of the box? Let's start with you, Adam.
2: I laughed my fucking ass off. Yeah. That was great. Um, just uh, just to backtrack a little bit, uh, the the Warrior uh, Savage match at seven, I think, is the best match Warrior ever had. Yeah, um Savage carried him through that match. Um again another testament to what a great worker he was because anyone from Hogan to Rick Rude to anyone who worked with Warriors, so what a pain in the ass he was, it was impossible to get a good match out of him and uh, Macho Man was able to do that. Um and uh that's a top WrestleMania moment, the reunion with Miss Elizabeth. Um so that was just that was that was great stuff uh getting back to your original question uh with the proposal and the wedding it was all getting you know and to bear in mind i was 12 and 13 years old and i thought it was lame and cheesy um and sappy so when jake the snake uh gave her the the the, the snake gift i i thought it was tremendous i'm like enough of this already i'm tired sweating shit let's let's get back to wrestling so Uh, I, I of course, felt sorry for Miss Elizabeth, uh, but at the same time, I I, I found it delightfully entertaining, and uh, I think Undertaker might have been involved with that as well, uh, with uh, good old Sid Justice uh, stepping in to help out, because he was an invited guest at the reception, even though, like, literally Savage had known him for ten
1: minutes.
0: Yeah. How about you, Bob?
1: I agree with Adam with regards to the Warrior Savage match. I mean, if you remember... Savage hits him with several elbow drops off the top rope and isn't able to finish him off. And then uh yeah, that uh that turn from a uh, bad guy heel to a face at the end of the match when Miss Elizabeth comes out. You know, you didn't get a lot of moments like that in wrestling at that time. Um I do also remember the uh the wedding ceremony. Um like Adam said, you know, Undertaker and Jake Roberts being involved and I mean as much as Adam didn't like it because he wanted to get down to the wrestling at that time, you know some of the vignettes and the promos that they would do backstage, some of those were fantastic, and this this being one of those, uh, you know like they they, they just, just the way that they would produce it and and make it. I mean, I, I miss some of those backstage segments and skits that they would do. A lot of them were really really good.
0: Yeah. Uh well, like you said, the. The backstage vin you know, vignette with the snake popping out of the box, led to uh, a feud with Jake the Snake Roberts, um, and this is a pretty. Uh, I, I got this from an article. This is a pretty uh, funny story. As oh, I re- know the story, as, yeah, as relates to uh, to uh, Jake the Snake and Savage. Um, as everybody knows, I'm, well, not maybe not everybody, but a lot of wrestling fans know. Uh, There was an instance where, um, you know, when Jake and Savage were feuding, they had an instance where Jake got tied up in the ropes, and he had, uh, uh, by Savage's insistence, he had Jake uh, take one of his snakes and have it bite him in the arm uh, while, you know, on TV, and you know... It wasn't actually a snake biting Savage in the arm. There's no faking that. Um, And here's a little story I got out of an article here. And um, let's see here. Yeah. At a a reception later shown on television, Elizabeth opened a box, discovered a deadly cobra, compliments of Jake the Snake Roberts. A feud with Roberts quickly followed. And uh, here, um, this is from Jake the Snake. He says... We were driving to Indianapolis. Um, oh, no, wait. This is from Lanny. Lanny Poffa uh, recounts this. He says, we were driving to Indianapolis. I was in the backseat pretending to be asleep, and Randy and Elizabeth started fighting. Elizabeth did not want Randy to get, beat, get bitten by the King Cobra that night at Market Square Arena, and Randy said that the snake was devenomized. Jake had told him so. And he was gonna let the snake bite him because it was good business. The next day, Randy woke up with a 103 degree fever and stomach cramps. (laughs) He blamed the snake bite. So apparently, um, maybe the the snake did not have all of its venom taken out of it. Um, Yeah, I had
2: also heard that uh, Savage asked the snake to bite Jake. Uh, That's Jake. Jake had mentioned that. So yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the things
1: Vince got his talent to do. Mm-hmm. When the snake actually bites up him, up? I wouldn't let him go.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and you see that it it has the the blood marks are there. Like mm-hmm. after the fangs get out, he's bleeding from his arm. It's really gnarly. But I
2: remember they. Uh, subsequent uh, re-airings of that, they they put a big X over the screen mm-hmm. so you didn't see the blood. I remember that. Yeah.
0: Well, like we said, the the match between the Ultimate Warrior WrestleMania Seven was a retirement match. So apparently, you know, that was supposed to be uh, the end of Savage's in ring career. But as we told you, you know, he had he got right into a few with Jake Roberts. He would, you know sporadically make returns to the ring from that point forward, but his full-time uh, ring career kind of grind, grinded to a halt at that point in WWF, not because of injury or anything, is because Vince wanted um, to showcase more of like younger talent, he said, and he't he wasn't finding um, a place for Savage in there, and he wanted to just keep him on commentary from uh from what I understand um but like I said he would eventually you know here and there he would have he would you know return to the ring he he would team up with the warrior for a tag team here and there they were called the ultimate maniacs um just imagine the amount of cocaine sniffed in that fucking room um <laughs> you know and but you know he,
2: He also could have called it the I Got Bit by a Snake Club.
0: Yeah, that too. But apparently, um, you know, Savage was more and more relegated to color commentary and not in the ring. Uh, It was around this time, like around 1992, 92, 93, where uh, Savage really um, saw something in Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels at this point had broken up... um, with uh, Marty Jannetty and it gone solo Um, and Savage proposed to Vince. Hey, I can get this Michaels kid over big time. What Savage did was he proposed a two year angle between him and, and uh, Michaels that would ultimately culminate in a match at WrestleMania that Savage would lose and he would retire for good at the end of that match. Um, apparently Savage, as he was known to do, had every single step of this two-year plan mapped out to the T and presented it to Vince that way. But Vince was not interested. He said, no, he's like, I want, um, more of an emphasis on the younger guys. By this time, um, you know, guys like Hogan, uh, were on their way out Um, Savage was still around, but he was, you know, short for this earth as well. Um, This was at a point where WCW, um, Eric Bischoff was running the show and he was kind of doing what Vince had done 10 years earlier and was kind of luring all the WWF's biggest stars away from them and into WCW. Um, So... Vince uh like you said, he wanted to showcase a lot of the younger talent and he nixed this um this uh planned program that he had that Savage had uh, built around with Michaels. And apparently this was the last straw with uh Savage and he yeah, at the end of his contract, which ran out in nineteen ninety four, he uh did not re sign and he ended up going to WCW. <coughs> Um, there's also a little other wrinkle, um, into all this too, because a lot of people were saying that a lot of the reason why Savage was taken out of the ring and relegated to more color commentary and less of a active role as a wrestler, of course, comes to the rumors of, um, impropriety on Savage's part when it came to one Stephanie McMahon. Um, the rumor being and, you know, this has gone around wrestling circles for decades now, was that Savage had um, a sexual affair with Stephanie when she, I believe, was 16 or 17. Um, She was underage, and it got back to Vince. And from that point on, Vince, you know, Savage was pretty much persona non grata with Vince when it came back to that. Of course, these are just rumors. It was never substantiated. Stephanie was asked about it. She denied it. Um, You know, of course, Savage denied it as well. But there are wrestlers out there that swear to God that um, this thing actually did take place, and that's why Vince buried Savage. Um, What are your guys' thoughts on this whole thing when it comes to the whole story between Savage and Stephanie? Let's start with you, Bob.
1: I, I never really had an opinion on it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I know, like you said, Vince had wanted him to do commentary and wanted to get it, uh, the uh, the younger stars over. He thought that at that time, Savage kind of moved on with his career and a little bit long in the tooth. Um, you know, it was he he was in that kind of phase where he was getting over the other. I mean, I remember him getting uh, crushed over. Uh, when, you know, Crush attacks him and throws him into the ring post and he smashes his esophagus and his larynx and stuff like that. And I remember him trying to make Yokozuna look amazing by having uh Yoko throw him over the top rope in a in a pinning move during the Royal Rumble, if you remember that. Um but so I mean I, I thought it like you know, the writing was on the wall for him to move on out, but uh with regards to Stephanie McMahon and stuff like that, I I never put too much thought into it, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. How about you, Adam? Uh,
2: I can't speak to it, obviously, one way or the other. I wouldn't immediately discount it, only because there had to be some reason for, you know, again, uh, as far as I remember, the quality of Savage's work never fell off. He was always a hard worker. He always put on great matches. Um, you know the whole you talked about the Shawn Michaels angle. That would have think about those matches. How tremendous those would have been between those two. What a great storyline. What a great set of matches that would have been. Uh, why on earth would you turn that down if you're trying to, especially like you said, Hogan's gone, uh, Warrior's gone. You're trying to re-establish yourself. You you know Savage comes to you with an idea. Here's how we get this younger guy over. You know. Uh, you know, what reason do you not pull the trigger on that? What reason do you not have this guy participate? If you don't want him to wrestle every week, why don't you have him wrestle? you only had four pay-per-views or five at that time, why wouldn't he be on this? You know, (laughs) to to steal a phrase from Paul Heyman, he was a color commentator and not a very good one. Uh, I didn't think he was a great color commentator. Uh, He was wasted there. Uh, So uh, there had to be some reason why, you know, Hogan had to come back, come and go as he pleased and and win the belt and and do whatever he wanted. I don't know why the rules were different there. Uh, You know, and I'm sure you'll get into this a little later, but, uh, again, most people who left came back in some form or fashion, either on camera or even just to get into the Hall of Fame. None of that ever happened with Randy Savage. So I'm not saying it happened, but something really, really major had to happen to to explain uh, Vince's unwillingness to use them or even bring him back when everyone else pretty much has come back over the years.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the people who uh, who swear that it happened, they're like, well, look at the years, you know. Stephanie was like 16 or 17 around 92, 93, and that was around the time that, you know, Savage was really put on the back burner. Um, I'm with you guys. I don't really have much of a... Of an opinion either way, um, wrestling being the business that it is, and kind of like the weird shit that goes on backstage, I would not put it past it happening. But I, I don't know. It's it's just really swerted and I, I don't want to, I don't want to think about it really. But you know, I only bring it up because it's a significant uh, part of what happened to Savage, especially towards the end of his WWF run um, in the early 90s. But like I said, um, 1994 comes along, and Savage, you know, he feels he still has it in him uh, to wrestle full time. So once his contract ends, WCW comes calling, and Randy makes the jump. He goes over to WCW, which by this point has Hogan, and a bunch of other guys from back in the day. Um, Guys like uh, Hogan, Flair's back by this point. Um, Lex Luger, you know, it's, um, you know, almost a homecoming there. Uh, When he does go to WCW, they also bring in Elizabeth uh, for him as well. And this is kind of weird because by this point, he and Elizabeth have been divorced for a while, but you know, they want to get the the old magic together again. So they have Elizabeth uh paired up with Macho Man when he makes his return in WCW. <coughs> um but that pairing is not long for this world. Eventually they split up. Um yeah, but Savage, you know, he he um he makes his presence felt in WCW, he's in the uh, the infamous Bash at the Beach match with uh, which signals the beginning of the NWO. Um, eventually, he becomes a member of the NWO himself, like pretty much every, every other roster other roster. yeah, pretty, pretty much every other member of the WCW roster. Um, he, you know, he he has a pretty good run in WCW. Wins a championship a few times. He's a he's a pretty big member of the nwo um but yeah it's just you know like everything else in wcw at that point it it was just kind of like okay well it happened but that was meh you know just diminishing returns after a while um yeah so savage oh also when savage comes in this is a very uh notorious thing um When he comes in, he demands that WCW also sign his brother Lanny to a contract. Um, And Lanny, they bring Lanny in, and they pay him six figures every fucking year that Savage is there, and they never use him, ever. Lanny just got paid six figures to just sit at home because Macho Man was his brother, and that's got to be fucking cool. I I would love you know, that, I would best love brother that brother
2: ever, hmm? best brother ever. Yeah,
0: well that was part of the deal when he came into WWF. You know he was like, yeah, I wa- I'll I'll come, I'll sign with you, but uh, I wa- I need I need to take my brother with me, and that's how uh, leaping Lanny Poffo came into be. They yeah, signed I'm him because mistaken. of uh, because of Randy.
2: I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, go ahead.
2: Um, if I'm not mistaken, you, you mentioned Elizabeth earlier at WCW. I wanted to say maybe baby was in an interview with Lanny that, that, that even though they were split, he wanted Elizabeth, he wanted to get, get her some work, not necessarily be on camera with her, but mm-hmm. I, I know that he, I think he also lobbied to, to bring her in just so she had a paycheck you know well i'm I wouldn't put yeah I wouldn't have heard that somewhere
0: yeah i wouldn't I wouldn't deny that either I, for all of his flaws, savage seemed to be a really generous guy when it came to the people he cared for, you know he would always make sure like you said, with his brother um and his family, he would make sure that they're taken care of like there are stories that you know he would save his money a lot like his father told him, but when he uh really got you know the high paychecks he was making a lot of money he would spoil his parents he would pay for them to go on like european vacations he would uh he bought a house for them he um for angelo's 70th birthday he bought him a replica of the uh the car that that angelo uh would drive around during the territory days like fully refurbished and everything he was very generous to those he cared about um just that he also had that jealous streak in him which was a very big character flaw. He was he was a complicated dude. For for a lot of his bad things he he also had really good things in equal measure. Um but yeah, so he he um he start he has his career in WCW, he makes the jump. And I, like everybody else I noticed he becomes very, very large when he goes to WCW, significantly larger than he was when he was in WWF. Um, and, of course, that being due to uh, steroid use, it's pretty significant that he is, like, almost twice as big as he was uh, in WWF when he's in WCW. Um, But, yeah, eventually WCW, uh, you know, nature takes its course and eventually they go out of business and um wwf buys them out and that's you know savage that's pretty much almost the end of his uh, wrestling career right there he uh he uh sits out the rest of his contract it's paid off he makes one he makes uh i think one more appearance for uh he makes an appearance in early TNA, and then um, he makes another appearance for some other uh, uh, pay-per-view for a, like a independent promotion. But then after that, it's over. He's done. He's done with professional wrestling, and uh, he sticks to it. You know, he he never makes another comeback after that. When he says he's retired, he's retired. Um, but. Like I said, he uh, makes a he makes an appearance in the 2002 movie Spider Man as Bonesaw McGraw, and um, he uh, he has a very memorable cameo there. But there is a downside to that to shooting that movie. Apparently, uh, in one of the spots during the match he has with Tobey Maguire as Spider Man, uh, the last the last move he does when. Um, When Spider-Man beats him, he kind of does a monkey flip, and he flies into the ropes, and he kind of lands on his head, and that's the end end of the match. Uh, Apparently, um, Sam Raimi liked the way that it ended like that, with him kind of like landing on the back of his head, and they did multiple cuts of that to the point where uh, it exacerbated an old neck injury that Savage had had, and according to Lanny, he had chronic neck pain for the rest of his life based on shooting that scene in Spider-Man. Again, I don't know how truthful that is. Lanny, I guess, would know better than any of us. But um, yeah, Uh, we all saw Spider-Man in the theaters. What was your reaction when you first saw the Macho Man as Bonesaw McGraw? How about you, Bob? Let's start with you.
1: Um, there's a lot to cover there. So, when first saw him as Bonesaw McGraw, that was cool. I, I didn't know he had a cameo there. So, when he first came out, um, you know, that was that was really cool. Uh, I'll always remember the Bonesaw's ready, you know, like, uh, they' <laughs> during the match. And, you know, they're they're in a cage, I believe. Uh, I think they're in the steel cage during that match, which is cool. So, uh... Yeah. I mean, his, his later days in, in the WWE before he leaves, he had that memorable feud with Ric Flair that, um, you know, we didn't touch upon, which which was a great feud that he had there, the the whole jealousy aspect with Miss Elizabeth where Flair would doctor the pictures and the photos. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. So then when, when he comes over to the WCW, one of his first feuds again is with Flair. And you mentioned, you know, he got Lanny a job there, and he got... Uh, Miss Elizabeth, but if you remember, he also had his dad a job there too. The, one of the reasons why they started that feud was because Flair attacked uh, Angelo and attacks him and starts beating him with his cane, and that's how you know Savage comes to the rescue. They restart that feud. Um, like you mentioned, he was one of the uh, the main defenders of WCW when the NWO was coming out, and he was uh, in that main event when uh, Hogan Hogan's the one that gives him the leg drop when he turns heel um he was we we mentioned how he wanted to put over Shawn Michaels and make him a huge star he was the one that put uh Diamond Dallas Page on the map and, and you know helped make him into a huge ginormous star at that time he helped put him over and you know skyrocket his career at that time so um just again very influential in his career with regards to that and um like you said unfortunately wcw went out uh, of business at that time and he had nowhere else to go he did make a a brief cameo in and tna wrestling um at a pay-per-view but then he wasn't happy with the proposed finish so he quit and then went on to make movies and um yeah i think that was one of the last times we besides uh you know the slim jim commercials and everything that we would see him in that was the last times uh you would see him on, on television
0: yeah how about you, Adam? What do you think of the latter parts of Savage's career, as well as the Spider-Man part?
2: Yeah, I was I was happy he went to WCW because I felt he had a lot in the tank, and if Vince didn't want to use him, then he should go somewhere where he's going to be utilized. Uh, Bob kind of recapped some of the highlights of what he did. He had a great feud with Flair. Um, you know, and if he was he was heavily involved in the WCW and Um angle. I think, if I recall, with all the turmoil with Bischoff getting fired and Russo coming in and out and all that stuff, I think Savage was pretty much done by then. Anyway, he would only make sporadic appearances, so um, you know, kind of like you said, it was it was uh, it was impactful at first and just kind of fizzled out like a lot of WCW stuff. So to see him in the Spider-Man movie was a real big kick. It was like being reunited with a long-lost friend, because you hadn't seen him in that capacity in a couple of years. So to to see him doing his thing just with a different name in Spider-Man movie, I that was one. That was a great movie to begin with, but that that just was like the the cherry on the sundae. It was really great to see. That was the Savage you remembered and 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 loved uh, watching him progress throughout his career. Um, I don't know how it got left out uh after Spider-Man 2. Uh, don't forget uh he had a rap career.
0: I was just going to bring that up <laughs> cuz not long after it's, the Spider-Man movie,
2: it's sitting on my shelf over there
0: somewhere. Yeah. Savage releases a rap album called Be a Man. Uh of course, that the title of that song is addressed to Hulk Hogan. I guess he still had a beef with Hogan back in back in the day. When he recorded this album, and the "Be a Man" song is directed, a hundred percent at the Hulkster, you know, a, "Be a Man," Hogan, fight me. Um, but yeah, it's it's a horrible album, as uh, Adam can attest to. He has it. Um,
2: All right, I I think you've heard both. I don't know if Bob has heard heard them both, but Tony, I know you have. What's worse, uh, wrestling Be boot band,
0: wrestling boot band, okay. <laughs> I already, I already know what the what I'm the question is going to be. I'm
2: inclined to agree. I, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, you got some good laughs uh, out of the Be a Man.
0: Oh, Wrestling Boot Band is horrible. It's, 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 it's a lot worse than Be a Man. Be a Man is not gonna, good, but. Oof.
2: I, I am going to be truthful. Though. If I ever start a rock band, it's going to be Adam Kalavic in the Wrestling Boot Band. Mm. It's just
0: there. You go.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Sounds something for your band. Yeah. Be a man, Hogan. The
0: album's on Spotify to listen to. <laughs> awesome. Oh man! Well, after after his rap career, uh, you know, flourishes and dies in short order. Um, <laughs> that you know, Savage kind of disappears for a while there. Wait for swerve, yeah. He, married. he he got he got married and uh, just kind of lived his life privately after that he uh when i say he got married he got married to an old flame um yes he uh yeah when he was uh playing baseball all the way back in the 70s he was dating this woman named lynn and when his baseball career ended he kind of broke up with lynn and figured okay well that part of my life's over i'm gonna break up with her i'm gonna move on to wrestling well you know he moves down to florida and apparently somebody he knows said that he ran into Lynn and she and he was like, well, is she, you know, available? Whatever. And apparently she was still single and Savage gives her a call. They meet up and one thing leads to another. And this girlfriend he had from back in the 70s becomes his new wife. And she's with him from that point on all the way up until the end. Um, and apparently, you know, from, from all accounts, it was a happy marriage. Uh, they say that Savage by the end of his life, uh, this is again, according to Lanny and those close to him, uh, he had really mellowed out. They said that, uh, he had gotten really tired of being so angry all the time, being so on edge all the time, um, that he let bygones be bygones and just, he refused to live as angrily as he did back in the day to the point where um, apparently while he was taking his mom to a doctor's appointment one day, um, none other than Hulk Hogan was at the same doctor's office, uh, you know, at an appointment and and uh, Savage kind of snuck up to him without Hogan seeing and like wrapped his arms around him. Hogan turned around, saw it with Savage, and Savage gave him a huge hug, and apparently they, they kind of let bygones be bygones there, and they were able to mend that fence uh, before Savage ultimately passed away, which, of course, Hogan says was you know a really great relief because they used to be really good friends before they had that beef. But apparently Savage, yeah, he was just really tired of, you know, constantly being on edge and being angry, and he let, he mellowed out a lot in his old age, for, by, by all accounts. Um, But he did, you know, they also did say that towards the end of his life, he got more, you know, a little bit more of a fatalistic point of view, like kind of like a, hey, when I'm gone, you know take care of this 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 and this like almost like he had premonitions of not lasting very long and they say a lot of that uh started when um angelo his father uh his health took a turn for the worse um i guess angelo had he got dementia later on in life at, which eventually uh he succumbed to and it took you know he angelo and randy were very close so of course Randy took Angelo's death very hard. <clears throat> and uh from that point forward people say that he kind of took a more fatalistic view on things, not like in a depressing way, but more in a like of uh you know, when I'm gone do this, when I'm gone do that, you know, that kind of thing. And like they said well, it's almost as if he kind of had the the feeling that um he wasn't long for this world, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that a lot of the wrestlers of his era were kind of dropping like flies in this point in their, in, in, at this point in their lives too, um, and it led to a story that Lanny told. Um, apparently, like this, this was like a couple weeks before uh, Savage ultimately died. They were ha- having dinner at Randy's house. And Randy again was like in his mood of like, well, when I go, blah, 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 and this, this, and this. Apparently, uh, Savage had gotten into uh gotten into his head to call his mom and and his mom, I guess, had had the ashes of uh his favorite dog at her house. And he 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 um had Lanny go over to the house and get the ashes for the dog. The dog's name was Hercules because it was from a litter that Hercules Hernandez had um his dog had, had. So he named the dog after Hercules Hernandez. And it was it was Savage's favorite dog. He loved this dog. And when it passed away he had the dog cremated. So anyway he has Lanny go get the dog's ashes and they scatter the ashes under a tree on Randy's property. And as they're doing it, Randy turns to Lanny and he goes, When I'm gone, I want my I want my ashes spread here with Hercules's ashes. And Lanny's like, you want to be you want your ashes spread with the dog? Why? And he's like, if it's good enough for Hercules, it's good enough for me. And Lanny was like, okay, whatever. 2 weeks later. Um let me see what the date is event here. Like 2 weeks after that. It is May 20th, 2011. Um Savage and his wife are out running errands uh, in Florida. Savage had been complaining that he that he wasn't feeling very good that day. Um, his wife offered to drive, but he refused. Uh, he got behind the wheel anyway. Um, and while they were out driving running errands, Savage suffered a massive heart attack behind the wheel. And the car he he goes into unconsciousness the car hits a tree um not very fast they said that the the car was only going about maybe 20 miles an hour at that point it didn't even deploy the airbags um savage's wife was had minor injuries from the crash but um savage himself had gone into cardiac arrest the paramedics got there but they couldn't revive him and savage died that day on May 20th, 2011 at the young age of 58, he hadn't even turned 60 yet by that point. Um, yeah. And that, like I said, the same was true of a lot of, uh, a lot of his fellow wrestlers. A lot of them did not make the age of 60. Um, and like I said, Savage, I think had that premonition that he was going to die early. And, he apparently he had all of his affairs in order. Everything went to his wife. The ashes again were was, were scattered where he wanted them to be scattered. And I remember when hearing about Macho Man passing away, I was just like, I, I, I was bummed for at least a few days because, of course, you know he's one of my favorite performers. But also, he. You know, he had been gone for a while. Didn't really hear anything from him at that point. And, you know, for him to just, you know, die like that suddenly, it was a shock and it was just really sad. Um, What was your guys' uh, reactions when you heard that the macho man passed away? Let's start with you, Bob.
1: Certain things like you remember um, and they stick out to you. So I was a chiropractic intern. Um, and we were waiting to see patients, um, that day and just messing around on our computer because at that time we didn't have a lot to do, um, for the patients to come in and just popped up on the screen, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage had passed away and it's just like, holy crap, um, didn't expect it and, uh, start texting my brother. I think I texted, um, you know, other people I knew that loved wrestling and, damn, Macho Man died, and crazy, you know, like, wasn't expecting it, um, it's just one of those, uh, like you said, he, his life was, uh, cut too short, 50 for, for him was still, um, really young, um, you know, it's, he, he, yeah, obviously, he went through a career where he abused drugs and stuff like that, and he had an enlarged heart, he didn't know he had an enlarged heart, he wasn't getting treatment or any kind of, you know, uh, he didn't have any issues with his heart that he knew of, so he wasn't on medication or anything like that for it, just suddenly happened, and it's just, that's, uh, sad thing about life, it's just, uh, you never know when it's your time, and unfortunately it was Macho Man's time, so, uh, just a damn shame, you know, one of the, the best to ever do it, and, you know, now we get to celebrate his life and have a show about him, and just, uh, reminisce about the, the great times that he, uh, he brought to us wrestling fans
0: yeah how about you adam what was your reaction when you heard that the macho man had passed away you no know, it was
2: shocking in a sense and again in the sense it wasn't obviously you referenced earlier um you know a lot of guys from that era had already passed by that time you know guys like uh, the, i don't the, the ultimate warrior died before or after said exactly, after which, you know after okay well he wasn't gone yet but you know you had guys like kurt henning big boss man rude uh just to name a few so it was just like oh god here's another one but you know uh the circumstance was you know obviously he'd been out of the wrestling business for a long time and as you said he was living a quiet life and to just have a heart attack behind the wheel and and that's it you're done that just uh didn't see like a fitting end for for such a legend like that you know not that he had to die in the ring or anything but you know uh, he he was just such a larger than life character that it just seemed seemed odd in that sense I guess uh the, the good thing is you know he did have a quiet life and as you mentioned earlier he made peace with uh, himself and a lot of people and he buried the edge with Hogan I guess Hogan says that after they'd reconnected at the doctor's office, as, as you mentioned, uh, they are supposed to get together shortly thereafter, and uh, it never happened. But, uh, you know, he was in a very good place. Uh, you can argue getting out of the wrestling business, you know, he got to enjoy parts of his life without, uh, pardon the pun, the madness around it. So that's, in a sense, that's good, and, and he found happiness and peace, so that's that's something positive to take out of it. Again, I'll I'll maintain. Obviously uh he got in the Hall of Fame, but not while he was alive. And uh I just for the life of me can't understand that.
0: Yeah, I was gonna mention that at the end there. Um you know the the question of Randy going into the WWF or WWE Hall of Fame was always uh a thing, you know, even even before his death. Um and Lanny, um, who ironically died earlier this year from a heart attack himself, um, he said that one one of his last wishes was, you know, he would only go into the WWE Hall of Fame if all the Pafos were included. That meaning his father, Lanny, and Randy himself. That's the only way he would ever get, you know, accept getting into the Hall of Fame. Of course, that was never going to happen. And after um, after Randy died, the the issue of the Hall of Fame, of course, came up. And Lanny was kind of like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm in a rough spot here because I know that Randy said, you know, he wasn't going to, he didn't want it happening unless all of us were honored. But I also, but he also says, like, I also know that I wasn't good enough to be in the Hall of Fame myself. And our father, while a great wrestler and a a legend in his own right, didn't really work, you know, with WWF in any major capacity. So, you know, what he said was, okay, well, you can induct him into the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. I just won't, you know, you know, I won't be involved in any way which didn't really happen because it wasn't didn't Lanny induct him into the Hall of Fame when it happened Hogan did Hogan did. All right. But I, I thought Lanny was there.
1: Lanny accepted but, um, the award.
0: He accepted the award. Okay. Um but he said is like, you know, it, it was against Randy's wishes, but I'm not going to stop it if you do it. Is basically what he said. And WWE went forward and they inducted Randy posthumously into the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, I mean, he deserved to be in there, of course. But um, because of everything that had happened before that, you know, and Randy refusing to go in without his brother and his father with him, that's what caused that that lag in Randy being in the Hall of Fame. (coughs) So, but he's in there now. Like I said, posthumously, and uh, yeah, that's the life of Randy Macho Man Savage, you know. Hell of a wrestling career, hell of an impression, just a legend of the business, but gone way too soon, like many others of his era, at the age of 58. Um, Yeah, so what do you guys have to say, summing it up for the, the legend that is the Macho Man Randy Savage? Let's start with you, Bob
1: um one of the best i mean like you said just a legend of what he was um he had charisma for days the guy could talk on the microphone he he was fantastic in the ring and um you know he always tried to bring out the best in his opponents adam mentioned earlier uh one of the best matches that the ultimate warrior ever had was with you know brandy savage um you know, how he we, how we would bring over the younger talent, wanted to bring over Michaels, wanted to bring over DDP and help put him over. Um, always entertaining. It's very hard to find a very boring um, r- Macho Man Randy Savage match. And, I mean, his, his promos, you could just listen to those for days. They were up there with some of the best ones. The cream always rises to the top. is one of the, my absolute favorites. And um, Yeah, it's my favorite. One of the best to ever do it, so. Um, definite legend when you talk about professional wrestling. Yeah,
0: how about you, um Sum sum up uh, your take on the life of Savage.
2: Yeah, um, it, it's interesting to me. You know, not not that we discount the early parts of his career, but you know, if you if you look at what everyone knows him for best, you know, he came to WWE in '85, and he wound up going till around 2000. Uh, WCW, so 15 year career which by, if you're going by Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan (laughs) Sting standards it's not a very long time but if you look at everything that was accomplished in in that span of time multiple title reigns memorable angles, memorable Wrestlemania moments, memorable promos um, again, the voice uh, Bob mentioned the outfits uh, one of my favorite images of Randy Savage is when he was the Macho King and he'd come in on the throne and people be carrying the throne and him and Sherry be sitting on top of it. Um, you know, uh, one thing we, we somehow didn't mention was Pomp and Circumstance, his theme music, uh, tailor-made for him, just like, it's a big deal. here. Here's here's Randy Savage. Everything was just magnified and, and grand uh, with him. Um, and he did it in a... Relatively short period of time, and again, um, he had nothing to do with the. He's had nothing to do with the wrestling business for over 20 years, but people still remember him fondly, talk about him, salute him as one of the best, uh, and, and, and and for good reason.
0: Yeah. So there we go. We salute the life of Randy the Macho Man Savage. All right. Well, that's the show for this week, but before we go, like we do every week, let's give you our Match of the Week picks. These are matches that we give you to watch in the meantime, in between time, before we get to our next show. Uh, Adam, let's start with you. What's your Match of the Week pick this week?
2: I'll go with the Savage match, and we'll go with uh, WrestleMania 4, when he won his first title, him and Ted DiBiase. Um, Another guy, just a tremendous worker, uh, DiBiase was, this was... Um, early in his long run in the WWE, uh, two guys that came in and, and really helped uh, that did huge, big period. Um, you know, DBS, he's a hated heel, and uh, Savage again was the next in line from Hogan. And, um, you know, they both won multiple matches to get there in the tournament. And uh, it's an exciting match, two great workers, and, you know, just a very memorable moment at the end celebrating his first title with uh with Elizabeth and his uh future mega powers buddy uh Hulk Hogan with the lust in his eyes. That's right.
0: Alright, Bob, how about you?
1: Shady bastard. The lust in his eyes. Um the lust in nah. your see the lust in your eyes, Hogan. Earlier we talked about uh TNA impact wrestling. Um this weekend path that just passed they were here in Chicago they had their bound for glory pay-per-view and um, they gave us a, a match of the year candidate with uh, Will Ospreay and Mike Bailey if uh, if you ever get a chance to watch Mike Bailey that dude is so much fun to watch in the ring he's, uh, he's an amazing talent um, and you know I'm a big fan of Will Osprey, but Mike Bailey is just really really great and fun to watch so if you get a chance to watch that you'll definitely won't be disappointed in
0: it. Nice. Well, my match of the week pick isn't a match. Um, It's more of a podcast of the week. Um, I ran across this uh, while I was working. And uh, (laughs) if you're a wrestling fan, you'll definitely want to listen to this. There's a podcast out there called Behind the Bastards. And it kind of um, profiles the the shady workings of some of the biggest evil men in history. And they did a six part series on Vince McMahon. Uh actually the title of it was Vince McMahon History's Greatest Monster. <laughs> um like I said it's a six part uh series that they did. They did it back in la- like early like late spring, early summer, so like about May or June. Is when they they did it, and it, and it, they dig deep. They they touch pretty much everything, like Vince's early days, um, you know, him buying the company, the the steroid scandal, Jimmy the Jimmy Snuka girlfriend murder, um, you know, Owen Hart. They, they, they touch it on any anything shady that happened in Vince's life they They recount it here, so if you really want to have a deep dive in the um in the very evil uh happenings of the w w e check out this podcast. It is something like there's stuff that they they uncovered that I didn't even know about um and it's not. Like if you had a bad view of Vince McMahon before listening to the to this series, goddamn, you're it's it, it, you know you're gonna think he's the antichrist after this. So yeah, it, it, if you're into that, I highly recommend it. the Behind the Bastards podcast and their series on Vince McMahon.
2: I bet you Tony Khan's gonna listen if he hasn't.
0: Oh, I'm sure he already has. He's got a, he's got that <laughs> shit bookmarked. Um, yeah, so that's the show for this week. We want to thank you guys for listening, um, and we want to listen to you, too. Um, there's two ways to do it. You can email us, EnhancementTalent316 at gmail.com. That's EnhancementTalent316 at gmail.com. Or do what everybody else does, follow us on the Facebook fan page. Just go on Facebook, look up the Enhancement Talent, click that Join button, and you know, join our community. We have a great time with our fans, posting thing, news, jokes, p- poll questions, whatever you want to do in talks of uh, the world of professional wrestling. You can do it on our Facebook fan page. Also, wherever you uh, stream or listen to the show, click the follow button or the subscribe button. Uh, that way you'll know when a new episode drops. And it also helps us out a lot. Also, give us a five-star review because we're cool like that. All right. So, that's the end of the show. So, for the Warsaw Blonde himself, Adam Kolovic, and for the other half of the amazing Lopez Cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez, I'm Tony Lopez. We will see you guys again next week. Have a safe and happy week. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Dig it. Good night. Dust in your eyes.